Hello, and welcome to Sweet Empowerment with Kristen Brown. Today I have the honor of interviewing one of my dearest friends and fellow light seeker, Sue Markovich. Sue is a healthy living coach and the author of an inspiring book, I Know What to Do, I Just Don't Do It. She owns Clear Rock Fitness, a strength training studio for women over 40 in Columbus, Ohio. She knows what she's talking about because Sue's been there, an addicted, compulsively self-destructive, low self-worth gal who found herself at the bottom of the pit and decided to rise up and live a better life. She now inspires others to live their best life, move forward, start over, and finally feel good about themselves. Her stats, in a nutshell, kidney disease, ex-smoker, chronic low self-worth, overweight, out of shape, afraid to live, rooted in shame, never enough, bad choices, poor boundaries, and a fan of junk food, who finally looked up one day and decided to take a first step towards a better life. And then she kept walking. Please welcome Sue Markovich. Hey, Sue. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. We have been talking about this for a long time. It's really interesting because when I started this podcast, even though it's about my work, I was really super excited to interview other people because other people's story inspires me. I love that. Yeah. So you would consider yourself a healthy living coach? Right. Okay. What does that mean exactly? My mission is to help women break free from the lies that have kept them stuck, whatever healthy living looks like to them. So they might be overweight. They might be out of shape. They might just not feel good about themselves whatever those things are that are keeping them from living their healthiest life. Okay. And so would you say that this was your journey? This was definitely my journey. That's why uh, I relate to women who are stuck and feel so down on themselves because I was the same way. I was stuck. I was down on themselves. I feel like I had tried everything out there and nothing was working for me. So Sue, being that there is a lot of weight trainers out there and a lot of diets, what do you think makes you stand apart from the traditional methods that people oftentimes seek but fail in? Well, for some people, diets work fine, and they can just decide to start an exercise program, and that works great for them. Those aren't really the people I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to the people that every year around this time or every Monday, they're starting something new because they still don't feel like they are where they want to be, And it's been a decade or two decades or a lifetime of fighting this battle and still not being there. Those are the people that I speak to. And we go a little deeper than just the I know what to do part. Just how do I strength train? How do I do my cardio? And what is my nutrition about so I can be my fittest self? For some of us, and this is where I come from, there were a lot of spiritual components uh, to this that were keeping me stuck. So those are the people that I work with. So would you say like most people, you know, they hire a personal trainer, they go to their their local gym and they they get the guy on staff that's, you know, 22 years old, he's radically fit and he's got no clue what a woman over 40 is dealing with or has been dealing with her entire life. And nothing against him, he just doesn't know. A he's male, B B he's young. And there's a lot of emotional stuff that accompanies living a healthy life and acquiring the 
the level of fitness that makes you feel good. Can you speak on that? Well, that is a common story I hear from my clients. They come in, they've joined a gym, they were assigned to a trainer, did a couple sessions, and really just felt bad about themselves or got hurt. So the women I work with in the strength training studio, we really try to uh, personalize that work to uh, meet up with the needs of a woman over 40. But the next level of that, and really where I want to make a bigger impact, is if a woman has been trying all those different things out here, who has tried every gym, every studio on the corner, she's been to Orange Theory, she's been to the yoga studio, she's been to this personal training, she's done this diet, she has every diet book on the shelf, and is still struggling with this problem, I want to help her see that there's a way out of that, but it's, it's deeper work. It's just deeper, more meaningful work. You know, you enlightened me with some information today that I did not know the different differentiation of. And one, I would commonly refer to food as an addiction because a lot of people cover up and hide their hearts and things that are going internally by what we would call addictions, whether it's shopping or alcohol or drugs or what I thought was food. But you said other than sugar, which can have a chemical component to it that would be addictive, you call it more of a compulsion, overeating as a compulsion. Can you shed light on that a bit? The way I look at a compulsion is it's a behavior that you do over and over to comfort yourself, give yourself a little dose of, of love or feel good enough or just escape from yourself. And it can or cannot have an addictive component to it. So yes, food does have an addictive component to it and the sugar and probably some other chemicals that we're not even really aware of. But food also has the behavioral component to it. How many of you can relate to, you know, it's the opening up of the bag and reaching in and getting the chip and having that crunch and it's that feeling that goes along with it or preparing that that plate of something and sitting down and eating it and it's, it's a comfort, it's a ritual. Um, I had those same comforts and rituals with smoking. It was pulling the pack out of the purse, packing it, grabbing that cigarette out, lighting it, taking that first inhale, exhaling the smoke. We have all these patterns and rituals and behaviors around these, which can become a compulsion. And why do you think we think they make us feel good? They do make us feel good in that moment. For a moment or two, they make us feel good. They deliver the goods short term. So are they, would you say, filling a void? For me, they were always filling a void. They were filling a void of, it could be anything from just comforting my stress, comforting my loneliness, comforting my fears. You know, if you're afraid of something, and I was always afraid, uh, you can turn to food and for, for a few moments, that fear is just quieted down and you're just enjoying your food. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to deal with that fear, that anxiety, that constant churning, that, that merry-go-round in the mind. So one of the things that I really love about Sue is her writing. And Sue has a weekly blog, and if you haven't signed up for it yet, I highly recommend that you sign up for her newsletter on Clear Rock Fitness. Is that right? ClearRockFitness.com. But she's an amazing writer, and for people that are struggling in this arena of their life, she will speak to every single thought that you have ever come across on your journey. In fact, her book, I Know What to Do, But I Just Don't Do It, is a fascinating book because it is a compilation of all of this in one book where you could sit down literally and open the book at any page and get an answer that you're looking for. 
And she does it in such an authentic way. What I really, really love about Sue is when I read her newsletter, which is in essence her blog too, when I read her newsletter, I, I laugh because she talks about the stuff that we all do, but she makes it in a way that, yeah, I did this and here's what I did about it. So we were talking earlier today and I said, what was that thing where you go and get a donut at, and what was the name of the place? <laughs> Tim Hortons. <laughs> she talks about this. I'm from Arizona. She's from Ohio. So I don't know about this Tim Hortons donuts, but maybe you listeners do. And she says, oh yeah, I just had this happen today and I just drove through and got myself some donut holes. But then she'll talk about the donut holes. And could you shed light a little bit about what's going through your mind as you're in the process, you're in the drive-through line. Is it drive-through? I thought it was. Yeah, I usually go through the drive-through. So there's a drive-through and you're getting there and you're getting these donut holes are on their way. And what do you do with that? So let's say you get the donut holes and you eat the donut holes. What happens after that? Well, back in the day when I was really struggling, that normally I would get a box of, of donut holes and eat them. And as I was ordering them, I'd be berating myself for getting it. You shouldn't be eating this. You should be eating your carrot sticks and your uh, <laughs> celery sticks that you're bringing to work with you. And see, you blow it anyway. Look how much you suck, blah, blah, blah. But now I go through the drive-thru, you know, I get my uh, latte and I order a single donut hole and they often joke me for it. But that's just me giving myself a little bit of chocolate, and it doesn't feel compulsive, and it feels like, yes, I'm getting that little uh, treat for the day, but it doesn't blow anything. It's not, it's not a problem now. And to have that healing where I drive through that Tim Hortons feeling good about myself instead of hating myself and hating my choice, that is where the difference is. It's how I leave that drive through feeling. I feel so much more empowered. It's not about the donut hole. It's about my heart and how it feels leaving that drive through. Yeah, that's exactly what I was what I was wondering because a lot of people are under the impression that they have to cut everything out. That they cannot have anything that has sugar or sweet or, you know, blah blah blah. And I know for me, I like to allow myself a little piece of dark chocolate with almonds after I eat dinner. I just want that sweet. It almost cleanses my mouth kind of like a sorbet would. And I love it. And that takes care of it for me. And I feel fine with that. But some people might say you can't have any sweet at all. But I would you say it's like allowing yourself, you know, dips into the decadence so that you don't feel like you're keeping yourself from everything or keeping yourself in a prison? Honestly, if I'm thinking about food to that degree, I'm off track anyway. Because for me, healing came from having a chat, actually several chats, with that part of me that was making my choices and finding out what was wrong deep within there, what was out of balance that was causing me to select food that was clearly uh, leading me to an unfit and unhealthy life. And so if I'm so worried about whether or not I'm having a piece of dark chocolate or a donut hole, I've kind of been pulled away from my path anyway. I want to stay deep in that healing path that for me is what helped me break free. So that brings to mind that like for my personal story and my what my passion in coaching is all about is that I had a moment where I I knew I needed help and I chose differently. I knew that the way I was where I was coming from was not working. So I love your story about how that happened. Could you talk a little bit about when this all started for you? When did the healing started? What did it look like? Well, there was a point in my life right around the time I was turning 40 where I felt like everything was melting down. Marriage, relationships around me, 
work. My corporate job was not at all fulfilling anymore. I just felt so lost and I felt like something within me was imploding. And I, I had spent so much of my life looking outside of myself for what was going to fix that. I recognized that I had this hole in my heart my entire life. But it got worse at this point because I was starting to believe that it was too late. My choices had led me to the point where I was never going to live the life of my dreams. Uh, I had just screwed it up too much and there was nothing I can do about it. And there was really a bottom that I got to. I, I, I hit rock bottom. And I heard about a grief support group at a local church, and there was something in me that said, you need to go to this. And I just thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard, but I went. But that was spirit talking at that point, or what's, what was that something that said, you need to go to this? Yeah, now I think it was the, the spirit within me saying, there is a way out of this, just go to this grief support group. I hear you. So I was so desperate that I listened to it because I didn't know where else to go. So I went to this grief support group. We sat in a circle, and then what came to me, I, I just started sobbing before I could even say my name. I had bottled up so much inside of me and had stuffed it down for so long that when I went to talk, I, I, I couldn't even talk without crying. And the way I introduced myself was my father has been dead for 27 years, and my mother has been dead for 17 years. And I'm not over it, and nobody knows that. I've been pretending, and I don't know what to do or where to go. And I was so terrified of the, the judgment and the criticism that I thought would come because these were people that had recently lost a loved one. It just didn't seem right to me that I was even there. But the, the grace and unconditional love that they showed me broke a very powerful false belief in my heart that had been keeping me very armored, which said, if you show people what you're really going through, if you tell people how you really feel about these losses, they're going to think you're ridiculous and stupid and that there's something wrong with you that you're not over it yet. And what they showed me instead is they, they told me you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Uh, let us help you. Let us come alongside you. Let us help you process this grief. Let us help you make peace with these losses and let us pray for you. That must have been... I, I just know when I pray for people or people pray for me, it is the probably one of the most powerful things I've ever had done or have done for somebody else. There is a breaking through. There is a sense of I'm not alone. There's a oneness. It's like that connection of souls at that moment that really, I believe, opens us up to other possibilities and healing. Agreed. I still feel connected to those people that were in that group, and that was 14 years ago now. Yeah. So how does healing that place inside of you, those places inside of us, where we feel like we're not enough or we're going to be judged. How does healing those places help heal compulsive eating? Well, I think what would happen, and this was all happening on a very subconscious level, was that I'd have a thought or a fear come up. Uh, I'll use an example of around Mother's Day, we get a lot of emails that say, hey, flowers for mom, do this for mom. And maybe that would create a thought in me of, of how broken my life was having to live without a mom. Mm. But instead of sitting there thinking on that thought or feeling those feelings, it was much easier to shut the computer down, go to the kitchen, and just make something, grab a bag of chips, uh, grab something, and eat. Because it took me out of that fear and grief, and it took me into the kitchen, and I was doing something else. And there's something that shifts in the brain it's like I am able to escape myself for that moment. So you're still, even all these years later, 
are you're still human having a spiritual experience or you're still spirit having a human experience excuse me so when those times come up for you now what does that look like well what the group taught me was it is okay to sit with those feelings so I literally have a place where I go and sit down. Is this in your house? Or? Uh-huh, it's in my house. It's with this certain pillow. And I say, I, I invite in the pain and the grief and the loss of not having a mother to share my life with. And the first time I did that was, it was, it really rocked me inside and it was so painful. I did not want to feel that. I didn't want to feel that anymore. But I allowed it to go through me instead of bypassing it I felt it it kind of came up like a wave and then back down gently and then it it dissipated it kind of just went away like fog and it left me sitting there kind of tired because I just did something pretty rock solid but I, I survived it I didn't die like I thought I would which is very interesting I'm to all the listeners I'm sitting here smiling and shaking my head yes as I'm listening to her Because when we do finally decide to go into our pain rather than try to bypass the pain or stuff it down or ignore it with food, alcohol, sex, whatever it is that we we use to distract, it doesn't last as long as we think it's going to. It comes and it's there and it peaks and it goes. But that healthy process cleans out the unconscious mechanisms inside of us that are what I call driving our train, but Sue calls it driving our choice maker. Right. It turns out that somewhere within me, there was this this place in me that was making choices. And that part of me did not care about my long-term health or well-being, didn't care about consequences or any of that. She just wanted to escape from these thoughts and feelings right now, no matter what it took. I have always called myself an equal opportunity user. Food was one of the things I used, cigarettes, alcohol, men, work, approval. There were a whole bunch of things that I would use to escape those thoughts and feelings and escape myself. It was instant gratification. It was get me out of this anxious thought. It was getting me out of this fearful thought for a moment, but it had long-term consequences to my health and my well-being. You know, it's fascinating to me about the instant gratification that we don't know we're doing it until we do. And when we do, just even taking a minute to go, wow, I'm really trying to not deal with this right now or feel this right now or experience this right now. Just even taking that time to recognize that's where we're at. There's already a pause. There's already been space created between us doing the compulsion and or I'm sorry, between wanting to do the compulsion and actually following through with the compulsion. So it's in that space, I believe, that we can, our choice maker can, can make a different decision. Exactly. I, I learned to make different choices after I felt those feelings. And there are still times now and then where I think, well, I've had a stressful day. I'm going to use a glass of wine to just bring it down a notch. But I don't do it compulsively anymore. I do it as a conscious thought. I'm going to have a glass of wine to take the edge off. And for me, the fact that it became a conscious decision as opposed to this constant feeling of sabotage somewhere deep within me was was so empowering, it, it became life-changing. Wow, that's amazing, and I completely understand that. So, Sue, how did you know on your journey, on your path, on your healing path, that that 
that you were healing? Was there a time that you recognized something or, you know, because I'm sure you didn't go from zero to 100. There had to have been some intermediate stuff happening in there. So how could you best explain what that's going to look like for uh, people that are in this situation that decide on the healing path? Yes, this wasn't an overnight change. It was a, a process. But what I noticed is as I started sitting with those feelings, as I took that time to sit and feel my grief or feel my losses or feel my fear, as I became willing to sit with fear and say, hello, fear, come on in. It went through its little wave and then dissipated. What I found was I just wasn't turning to food as often as I was before, or I wasn't Mm. leaning on inactivity and escape to TV or reading or whatever it is like I was before. Here I am out going for a walk. Here I am making a better choice, not because I'm trying to force or white knuckle or will myself to do it. It started happening organically from within me as my choice maker healed and got more in line with what I wanted to be, which was a, an individual who lived a healthy life. Right. And I hear that completely because when I was on my healing path, it showed up in the, the first thing that showed up for me was I didn't return a text in a frenzy. I didn't act from my emotional, you know, unworthy, crazy, get control, you know, freak out, trying to feel safe self. I just went, yeah, I don't really need to respond to that. And then I remember walking and and thinking, whoa, that is not how you do things, Kristen. That's not your typical pattern. And I was so proud of myself in that moment. And that was really at the time that I realized I was healing and I was so happy and it catapulted me forward on my healing path. Did you have a similar experience like that? I had a very similar experience. And before I started to heal, I had a false belief along with the majority of the world that I had to find control and ways to manage these addictions and compulsions. If I could just get control of them, if I could find the right system that counted their points or their calories or their carbs or something like this, if I can get that control from outside, I would start to heal within. And this healing process kind of flipped that upside down. Exactly. And as I started to heal, I started to just make choices more in line with what a a healed, healthy life would look like without having to will myself. My choice maker just gravitated towards those better choices. To me, it's still a miracle of the process because that was not my doing. That was just what happened as I healed. So when I work with people, I talk to them that your whole healed self is going to automatically make such better choices. You will not have to be white knuckle your whole life. You will not have to control and manage this compulsion your whole life. Compulsions heal as the as the hole in our heart heals. Is that why you have packages where you historically would personally train people and, I don't know, what we call it emotionally coach them at the same time? Because you believe that it is all combined. So you're working on the whole self, mind, body, and spirit instead of just body. That's what I believe because that was my experience. Just hiring a personal trainer but without the spiritual component might have worked while I was on the program. But as soon as I was off the program, I would go back to my old ways because I hadn't changed. If I just find a diet while I'm on the diet, I might do great. I hear all the time, uh, Weight Watchers works great for me. I've done it seven times. But who wants to do these diets over and over again and then gain the weight back and feel even worse? It's a repeating pattern that I found for me was missing a component. So 
what I love is to work with clients who not only want to learn what to do, how do I do strength training that's safe for me as a woman over 40, how do I do cardio so it's really effective for weight loss and for endurance and to keep me healthy to do the things I want to do in my 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and beyond with my grandchildren and my family. Uh, but there's also this other piece of how do I heal and know my worth and live out of that without somehow believing that it takes the right diet or the right fitness program to be on to get there. I, be, I you know, you've, you post a lot. I follow you like crazy because I just love everything you do. I love your words and you're always so inspiring and you're my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but I listen, I watch the posts you make about, you know, you call them level 70. So who doesn't use ages, she uses levels. So she'll say uh, level 72 Margaret and she'll show pictures and she'll talk about how when Margaret came in her blood pressure was this and her her weight was that and her I don't know diabetes was this and how her numbers has significantly come down due to exercising their bodies and it is it is so fascinating to me that just moving the body like that will you can heal so many ailments that have happened upon you, you know, during your life and as we age. And it's, it's miraculous. It is miraculous. And as a stage three kidney patient, I experienced that firsthand. Right around that time, my life was melting down. I also got diagnosed with kidney disease. And it was very scary because they couldn't... So let's just pile more on the, on the crapper, right? Well, right. And I was already afraid of death and dying and disease and all that because of the way I grew up. And so having this disease that could be, you know, really serious, scared me to death. And it took them a while to figure it out. In the meantime, I was losing kidney function. I thought, oh my gosh, am I going to have to get on the kidney transplant list? You know, am I going to be on dialysis? What does this look like for me? It was another uh, catalyst to me deciding that I had to make a change in my life. And even though I didn't know how, I wanted to do it differently. So this time it wasn't just go on the diet and then as soon as it ended, I was back off and back where I was or go on an exercise program. And as soon as I was, you know, I, as I was on it, that was fine. But once I was off it, I was back to where I am. I wanted to change for good. I didn't want to have to go through these things again because I had to reclaim my health. I was losing something very vital. An organ was, was failing on me. And as I started to make those changes, not only those physical changes of getting the right kind of workouts for me and the right kind of nutrition for a kidney patient, but to look at all the underlying things that were sabotaging me and why my choice maker would sometimes go, I know you want to have healthy kidneys and a healthy life, but I want to eat a whole pizza right now because of the way this person treated me today. I, this battle was kind of going back and forth. And I was determined this time, once and for all, to come out of this battle with my choice maker making choices that supported my health and for me to feel empowered to do so. Not, I went on another damn diet or exercise program, but as soon as I went off it, everything came back to the way it was, and I never made any forward progress. And, you know, we hear a lot on TV and whatnot that, you know, muscle mass decreases, and a lot of people just succumb to, oh, this is just what age looks like. But I'm here to tell you, Sue doesn't, Sue doesn't buy that BS. And, you know, I've, I watch a lot of things and hear stuff just throughout my life. I can honestly tell you that watching what happens at Clear Rock Fitness with Sue is living testimony of what exercise and healthy eating can do for your long-term fitness. I've seen it firsthand based on 
you know, posts that she has made over and over again, of course, with the permission of her clients. And there really is no age limit to this. There is no age limit. Agreed. And there's no age limit. And one of the things that we really believe is that it's never too late. And I think for me, one of the false beliefs that was really deeply rooted in me is because I was almost 40. I'd never been in good shape. I'd been a smoker most of my life. I, you know, I, I've really been self-destructive towards my body. It was It was too late to be a, a fit person. And I had a lot of false beliefs also around what that looked like. Like it had to be a certain size or a certain weight or a certain body type or something like that. And it turns out personally fit for me. It doesn't look exactly like I thought it would, but it's way better than I ever dreamed or imagined. You know, it's allowed me to hike in the Grand Canyon. It's allowed to allowed me to take clients out to Utah and hike around to some of my favorite places. I just have to. Okay, you're done talking, but I was going to interrupt anyway. I was going to interrupt you as soon as you said Grand Canyon because what a lot of you don't know is that Sue is part of the Rim to Rim to Rim Club, which means you hike down the canyon, the Grand Canyon here in Arizona, up the other side, spend the night, and then you hike down and go up the other side. And that's how many miles? It's about 46 miles round trip. Okay, 46 miles round trip, people, and, and so 23 in a day. Plus, elevation change of? About a mile. About a mile elevation change and a temperature change of? Oh, it went from 50 degrees to 100 degrees to 40 degrees in the same day. Right. So, Sue is now part of what they call the Rim to Rim to Rim Club. And how many times have you done that? I've done it twice. Twice. Is that something you would have ever thought, ever <laughs> thought, when you were 39 years old? No, when I was in that pit, I didn't even dream of being able to walk a 5K. That seemed too uh, unattainable to me because, number one, I felt too crappy about myself to even put myself out there to try some things that I might quote-unquote fail at. Or be embarrassed. Or too vulnerable. I'm not good enough as these people. Right. Yes. So that leads me to the question that who are we in competition with? We pretend that we're in competition. We tell ourselves we're in competition. And can you speak to that? We have written on the wall at Clear Rock Fitness Studio, comparison is the thief of joy. And I really believe that. Uh, I believe it's a Theodore Roosevelt quote. And, you know, he speaks to me because he's the person that put the Grand Canyon aside for us to enjoy. Wow. But the Grand Canyon, or uh, comparison is the thief of joy is really powerful because we all tend to do it. We have a place on our mind that looks at her and how fast she is or looks at her and and what her body looks like. And and we're always looking around and comparing ourselves. But really, what I try to think about now is what's my daily practice? Where am I right now? Beautiful. Am am I living the life that I was meant to live? And I I would venture to say we're not even in competition with ourselves. You know, if we just each day do the very best we can. Sue oftentimes talks about left foot, right foot, and I love that, and I use that too, and I always quote her because even though, of course, I've said that in my life before, she's brought it back into my life again through her blogs, and I'll always make mention of her because I just love her, and that's what I do, but she talks about left foot, right foot all the time, and where did that start for you, and what does that mean? Well, right about that time I was going to the grief support group, it was actually at a church right around the corner from from my house, and the pastor of that church uses that to describe the spiritual journey, that the spiritual journey and a walk are great metaphor, and, you know, it's not about just jumping to a place where where you're in this, this idea of perfection or anything like that, but you're just walking it out on a daily basis, 
left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And I just love that as it applied to health and fitness too. What I learned was this idea of being perfect is just kind of silly because none of us will ever be. We ever. All, we all fall short. That's just the way it is. But then there's this other idea of progress, not perfection, which I really did. That was a mantra for a while. But then that started to be like, you know what? That's still pressure on me. Do I really have to be making progress all the time? Do I have to be in competition with my last run? My last half marathon, do I really have to do better this time or else I'm somehow falling short? And I got caught in that a little bit. And so I had to do a little deeper work and decide for myself that my best mantra was spiritual daily practice. It wasn't about perfection. It wasn't even about progress. It was showing up in my daily practice in what was going to keep me going, left foot, right foot. One of the your recent posts was when you went Thanksgiving to Colorado Springs to visit your brother Steve, and you had mentioned that Steve had chronic back. He has chronic back issues. He's had several back surgeries. Okay, and he had to use a tens unit all day long. Correct. To help you know zap those areas, and that he was hurting so badly that he couldn't even drive you to the airport when it was time to leave. That's true. And by the next time you went to visit him, which is this Thanksgiving trip that I'm talking about, what happened? Well, my last visit was only about six months ago. It was in March. And that's when he had the TENS unit and couldn't drive me to the airport. He was in such severe pain. He just started walking. He, he's in this beautiful area, which is about 10 minutes from Garden of the Gods and a whole bunch of other uh, Red Rock areas that are gorgeous and within walking distance of his house. And as he started getting outside going for walks, they would get longer and longer. His body started to heal a little bit. And it was a, an amazing difference when I went to visit over Thanksgiving. It, it looked like a miracle to me. It looked like a miraculous healing. And all he had really done was do some core strength training on his own at home. He didn't hire a trainer or anything didn't like that. Didn't you say it was just planks? Just basically planks, right in his living room. And walking. And walking. And this time he had dropped the TENS units. There was no TENS unit around. He picked me up at the airport. He dropped me off. And on the last day, we hiked three days in a row. And on the last day of hiking, he was just going and going. I was ready to sit down on that ground, take my boots off. And I actually even uh, recommended we call an Uber from, <laughs> from the campground because it felt like this hike was going forever. And I loved to hike, but I was about done. We were at the four-hour mark. And he's just trotting along, you know, doing his thing and, and feeling so much better. It was, it was miraculous And, to me. you know, we have to disclaim that based on your individual medical issues, this may not be the case for you. But what we're trying to specify or show here is that how much exercise can truly heal you if you strengthen the right areas and get that blood pumping, that healing oxygenated blood throughout your tissues amazing things can happen. I mean, I was blown away by that post because I know these stories and I know what it looks like and I see people in pain. But, you know, having the, just the gumption to start, don't you believe in just starting somewhere? There has to be a first step for me. There had to be a first step to get out of that pit. And it, yes, it was that grief support group, but it was also being brave, putting on some tennis shoes and going to a park near my house called High Banks and going for a walk out there. And risking feeling awkward and not not knowing what I was doing, but just walking anyway. So I'm a I'm a firm, firm believer of looking for a mentor or coach that has been there. Because 
I never got any, I don't even know, satisfaction, healing, awarenesses, ahas with anybody that was just like a therapist that had no clue, never walked my walk. And how I feel it's very important to have somebody to support you on this journey, especially when you're baby stepping it, it's new to you. So Sue, what do you think is so vital about hiring a coach or a mentor on this journey to health, to be, to living a healthful life, mind, body, and spirit. Well, for me, back in the day when I did try a diet, if I blew it, I would quit because I screwed it up. I blew it, and so I did not have the strength within me to pick myself up and keep going. And so two years would go by until I'd try again. I did the same thing with quit smoking attempts over and over, but with a coach teaching me. Things like relapse is part of recovery. So you had a bad day. So you get right back up the next day and you get out there and you do your thing. You don't take a long time in between to roll around in the self-loathing anymore. You have to have a coach telling you the truth, which is this is not a failure. You didn't blow anything. It's part of the process. It's an important part of the process that you learn the things that get you off track. You work your way through them. You sit with them instead of bypassing them. And that's how you change for good. You have to deal with these things as they come up to change for good or else you're just going to be repeating this pattern over and over, doing these diets over and over, doing these fit- fitness programs over and over and, and never really getting anywhere. And I love the quote that we can't, what, how does the quote go help me out here, Sue? We can't, we can't heal something or change something from the same level of thinking that created it. I believe it's an Einstein quote, and he's talking about you know using the mind to, to heal something that was created by the mind. My fear was part of my thinking, and so to ask my mind to heal my, my incorrect thinking and the places where I was stuck just didn't work. I had to be willing to dive into this spiritual journey and, and understand that the mind can get off track. It's also part of the process. It's part of the process for the mind to get off track, to be loaded up with lies and false beliefs. There's a process of going through those and becoming more aligned with the truth, of receiving the truth into your life, understanding who you are and your worth, and then walking that out left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. And so having a coach or a mentor is actually helping us to steer us to, to better thoughts, healing thoughts, serving thoughts, and, and basically, in essence, do it for us until we are able to stand on our own too and do it for ourselves. I'll tell you, I've been in a coaching immersion with you for the last three days. And what I have had is such an enormous number of aha moments that I feel like a different person that I did three days ago. I feel clear. I feel motivated. I feel inspired. I feel excited. I feel like... I am ready to go. I made my decisions. I pushed through my blocks. I understood the fears that were coming up, why they were. I dealt with them as they came. And you helped me do that every step of the way. A good coach asks the right powerful questions to help you get through those blocks so you can move forward left foot, right foot without standing there. I felt so stuck. And after being here with you, I no longer feel stuck. I feel ready to go. I cannot wait to take the next steps on my journey. I know what they are. I'm clear on them and I know how to do them. But I also am not afraid that even though I know what to do, I won't do it out of fear. Fear is not going to keep me paralyzed from doing this because we work through those fears. That's what a coach does. And that's what I love doing for people. That is beautifully stated. Ladies that are listening, if you 
are ready to break free from the lies that have kept you stuck in being frustrated, out of shape, and overweight, Sue is your coach. You can contact Sue at suemarkovich.com, S-U-E-M-A-R-K-O-V-I-T-C-H.com. Sue offers an eight-week deep immersion to help you locate and heal the unconscious thoughts that has been making your choices for you. Sue, I am so thrilled that you are here with me and that we had three just, God, power-packed days together where we both just, ah, just rose up and stepped fully, more fully into our life than ever and into our passions. And I'm so grateful that you are here today. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 